Well, if you would, let's open up God's Word this morning. So if you would, get a Bible, and hopefully you have one. If you don't, please get one nearby you in the pew, and open up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. We are, again, beginning in verse 36. You might be familiar with this passage, but there's so much good stuff in here. We are continuing with our fourth of five weeks of a five-week series today where we are getting grounding as a church of whose we are as we move forward in what he has for us. And one of the things that he has for his church is service. And when you hear the word service, (laughs) I kind of like the uh, illustration, Um, many of us feel that Service is brought up as a way to guilt trip us about our already busy schedule. Or service is mentioned as a um, as a these people are desperate, they need volunteers. Or service as in or some of you might even think of service as in I've been serving Aaron and I'm tired. Some of you think that serving is it's for the pastor, maybe the elders. But we think about a lot of different things about serving, and especially in our day where we have what's called a, an entire service industry, where we go out to, well, not today, but in part today, usually on a Sunday, off many of us will go out to lunch, and what are we, what are we doing? We're expecting someone to serve us. And we get served in a variety of ways. We do a simple click on our smart TVs now, and we're served up thousands of shows and entertainment. We're served at sporting events. We're served wherever we go. But the question is, is what is God's heart for his church? Is it to serve? Is it to be served? What is his heart for his church? And as we go along, this needs to be one of our values as a church, that we are a church who serves. So let's look this morning at our passage. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? From Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 47. And I want you to pay attention to the attitude that is presented here in this passage. Acts 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's the attitude in here? There's a heart that... There's a heart change for these people who have received the preaching of Peter. You may have a seat. What is that heart change? What is the the heart for for Jesus' church? Well, Jesus' church has the heart to serve. Jesus' church has the heart to serve. And then the obvious question is, is, well, Why should we serve? We have a heart? Okay. Why should we serve? Well, first we should serve to make much of Jesus. Because you look at what they're doing here, these new believers that are added to an existing group of believers. What are they doing? Well, they're worshiping. And what does it say? They're praising God. We should serve to make much of Jesus. So here's the question. What do we need to make much of Jesus when we serve? I mean, let's be honest. Even atheists serve. Atheists can change a flat tire. There are huge nonprofit organizations that serve people that want nothing to do with Christ. So what do we need to make much of Jesus when we serve? Do we need, just need to say the name Jesus every time we do a good deed? Actually, we have way greater needs and a more profound change needs to take place. Because first, what we need is we need Jesus to serve us. You might be familiar with Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Where the disciples, one, one passage says that their mom came to talk to Jesus. The others say that the disciples themselves did it. But either way, they came and said, we want you to do something for us, Jesus. And Jesus said, what? He said, grant us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your kingdom. What is that? That is a position of power, influence, prestige, authority. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And then, (laughs) this gets better, when the other disciples hear about these two guys asking for these these buddy-buddy positions, they get mad. And then they start arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, in Mark 10, verse 42 through 45, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? Verse 45. For the son, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
See, what he's saying is, you need Jesus to serve you. Before any service takes place from you that is pleasing to God, you need Jesus to serve you. Why? Because of ourselves, we are in sin. The Bible says that we are enslaved to sin before Jesus died on the cross. And when we are enslaved to sin, guess what we aren't doing? We aren't serving to make much of Jesus. We're serving to make much of a whole bunch of it, much of other things. But sinners in their nature and disposition don't glorify God. They want to glorify themselves. They want to glorify their tribe, their thing. And all of us were there. Except that Jesus came to serve us. And how did he serve us? In a way that's not repeatable by any of us. Peter started his finished his preaching in Acts 2, verse 36. He says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In order for us to have a heart to serve and to serve to make much of Jesus, we need to love the Savior who served us by dying in our place. He humiliated himself in so many ways so many ways in his death on the cross and leading up to it. He was arrested on false charges by a mob. He was slapped in the face by the high priest who should have bowed before him and worshipped him. He was beaten and flogged and then had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He was made to carry his own cross down a road. He was likely naked we have pictures of Jesus on the cross that have a loincloth. That was probably not there. So he was exposed and humiliated as he died. Oh yeah, and then he's asphyxiated to death. And the Bible calls that service for us. Because that's what we deserve if Jesus doesn't come and die. If he didn't come and die. We need Jesus to serve us. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this, this offends our sensibilities as sinful people because our vision of God is that we need to do a lot of good things to get to God. We need to be sincere. We need to have our checklist. And then God will approve of us. We need to appease him. Well, God says, you can't appease me because you're sinful. And guess what? So what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to serve you. We need Jesus to serve us. And secondly, we need, once he has served us, and he has, we need the Holy Spirit to live in us. We've been going through a series in the Gospel of John where Jesus has been teaching again and again and again. He says, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, will not come. And what does the Spirit do? Well, if you turn back just a little bit in the book of Acts, 
Acts chapter 1, verse 9. I'm getting kind of booming here. Acts chapter 1, verse um, 8. Sorry. Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to obey what Jesus says back in Mark. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. We can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit in us. The the Spirit of Christ in us. And we can't seek to make much of Jesus on our own. What's the Holy Spirit there to do? John says it in his Gospel. He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we will testify about Jesus in everything we do. We need the Holy Spirit to live in us. Galatians 5, verse 22 through 25 says, But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the posture of service. To make much of Jesus, we need Jesus to serve us. We need the Holy Spirit to live in us. And thirdly, because of those two things, we need to live less for us. Jesus said again in Mark 8, verse 34 through 38, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would love me and pro- profess my name, what does it say? Let him Make sure that all his needs are met first. Is that what it says? Make sure I take care of number one. Make sure that my priorities are the ones done. Is that what it says? What does it say, church? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We need to live less for us. And we live in a world that proclaims the exact opposite. We live in a world that believes that the universe is built around you. We live in a universe that believes that the world is built around me and that everything should bend and shape to my desires and wants. I mean... It used to be, we'd, we'd kind of laugh about it. Oh, the kid thinks he's the center of the universe. But no, no, no. Now adults are doing this. 
in a massive scale. And in some ways it's not new, it's just more pronounced because now if you disagree with the way they think they are at the center of the universe, you are a hateful bigot. And if they disagree with how you think you're the center of the universe, they're on the wrong side of history. They're, pick your thing. They're making me uncomfortable. But there's a better way because God didn't design the universe that way. God designed the universe to center and focus on him, a God who is himself relational. He is relationships. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when God says, look to me, he's not doing it in a self-centered, egocentric way that the human beings do. He's doing it in a way that says, look to how I exist in community and make much of my son who came to serve you. Jesus, we should serve to make much of Jesus. And that's the first great commandment, isn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it is, making much of Jesus. And what's the command that flows from there? Because it's not just making much of Jesus and everybody out there, they do their own thing. No. When Jesus' church is, has a heart to serve, we make much of Jesus. And secondly, we should serve to love our neighbor. Because Acts, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So here's the question. And if you've read scripture, you'll know where this comes from. Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered this in the parable. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asked the guy who asked the question, Who is my neighbor? He asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now that parable is ultimately about Jesus because Jesus is the guy who takes care, who serves. But we should serve to love our neighbor. So who is our neighbor? I can think of three categories, two with a subcategory. One is our neighbor or my, our brother and sister in Christ is our neighbor. So you in this room, if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus, you are each other's neighbor. Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, church, his disciples, that you love one another. And I will say this, 
I've had some conversations, and you might be aware of this, and I pray that we can seek to not have this be the case for our church. Some of the most difficult people to serve in the world are people in the church. Why is that? That ought not be. Some of the most difficult people in the world to serve are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that? Well, sometimes it's hard to serve family and to keep serving 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 family. In the church, it's easy to see people's messed upness up close and recognize that that's going to get, that that is going to be part of the way that they respond to how you serve. People in the church, we're still human beings. We're finite. We don't see all the great things that you do. People in the church are often underappreciated. They probably commit to more than they probably should. And it's hard to say no to a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes it's really hard to say yes. But what, is our, what does Jesus say? And the second is like it, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, if you were having a crummy day, or if you were a high-maintenance person, or you are, <laughs> how would you like it if everybody steered clear of you and refused to serve you and refused to obey Jesus' command for you? I'm really thankful. I know many godly saints in this church who have pushed past that and who serve and serve and serve because they love their brother and sister in Christ. And they love the Jesus who thinks that that brother or sister in Christ is worth loving. and who is making them lovable. So my brother and sister in Christ, or sister in Christ is my neighbor. Who else is my neighbor? Well, <laughs> my neighbor is my neighbor. There's a whole world full of people who have no idea what it means for Jesus to serve them. And Jesus is in heaven, so what, ha what needs to happen for Jesus to serve them? Well, that's why he sent his Holy Spirit to his church, so that his church would go out and serve and show them the love of Christ. And some of you are already doing that, and praise God for it. My neighbor is my neighbor. And it's great, it's really great that Jesus doesn't put any qualification he says, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. We show them love. Now here's the subcategory of my neighbor is my neighbor. This one's the hardest, potentially the hardest. It could be in the church too, sadly. My enemy is my neighbor. The person who's on the wrong side of the political fence is my neighbor. The person who I just served for the third time and didn't seem to care one iota is my neighbor. I heard a story of a pastor in Rwanda. And if you're familiar with that name, it's because it has been the site of a horrendous amount of people being slaughtered. I heard of a pastor in Rwanda who said that in his congregation are the people who slaughtered his family, his wife, his children, his brother, his sister. They are in his congregation. How do you serve an enemy? Same way. Because while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have been given a heart to serve. Now, why does God command these things of us? Why does he command us to, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, as Philippians 2 says? Why does he tell us that? To make much of Jesus in our serving. And why does he tell us to serve by loving our neighbor? Is it because he's a God who wants us to be down and out the rest of our lives because we're doing all these things just to do them, to check the God list? No! No! You think Jesus was grumpy and sad the whole time that he came to serve the people? To serve you and me? What does Hebrews say? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, God does not make a world and tell his people to do things in it because he's a joyless and wants to steal your joy kind of God. No, he's a joy giving and living in his world a way he desires is joy giving. So thirdly, we not only serve to make much of Jesus, we not only serve to love our neighbor, we should serve to enjoy God's joy. Because look at this passage in Acts chapter 2. There's just two words. Acts chapter 2 verse 47. All these things are happening in the church. What is, what is, what is their response? Praising God. Yes, we are commanded to praise God even when we're not happy, but, but it is way easier to praise God when we are. And all these amazing things are happening and they're giving God praise. Because why? Because God is delighting in what they're doing, in what's going on, in the heart that they have. So what gives God joy? There's an <laughs> almost infinite number of things. 
I pick three. First, the blessing and flourishing of his people gives God joy. You know that Genesis, the first words out of God's mouth to Adam and Eve, is prefaced with this. It says, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And over and over and over, you in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you see a God whose aim is to bless his people so that they would flourish. Now flourish in his way and in his, his timing. The blessing of, and flourishing of his people. So when we serve, when we serve someone for Jesus' sake, God aims to bless us. I mean, the scripture is clear. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, if you're receiving all the time, I heard this story, it's like the kid who keeps eating ice cream all the time. The kid who keeps eating ice cream all the time is eventually going to be sick. Or put it in another phrase, one... uh, Um, kind of famous motivational speaker and financial advisor says, if you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. If you're receiving all the time, instead of pouring out the blessing that God has poured out on you, you're going to be spiritually sick. So when you bless and seek the flourishing of God's people, guess what? That's what you're designed to do, and it gives God joy. And you get to enjoy that. I mean, some of the, the best moments in, mis, in ministry are when you see God's hand of transforming blessing on someone whom you have served. And in those moments, guess what I'm not, guess what I'm not thinking about? I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, go God. What else gives God joy? Burdens being lifted. Because Galatians 6 verse 2, the Apostle Paul says to the church, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We, and I've said this before, and it, I didn't origi- it didn't originate with me. We don't start in a default state of encouragement. I saw most of your faces today, so unless you're hiding something, most of you came in discouraged, distracted. Maybe some of you came in grumpy because you were serving. You were the grumpy monkey. What gives God joy? The burdens being lifted. And one of those ways is me telling you that Jesus is bearing your burden. He is interceding for you. He has already done the most important work ever in your life if you have trusted him. And it's just mopping up. You have hope. So when we serve, we are aiming to give others hope, to remind them of their hope. Sometimes it could be a super-duper small thing. I'm grateful to the guys who pulled weeds outside today. That's stewardship of building. 
So thank you. It can be even as small as parking so that moms or ones with really little kids or pregnant moms can get to the door faster. And I'm going to lay that exp- I'm going to lay that desire out right now before we move over there. If you are able-bodied, I would really 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 like you to park as far away from the main doors as possible. So that we can serve those who are guests and we can serve those who have physical needs. And we can lift that burden from them. Cuz you know who isn't thinking about that kind of stuff? The world out there. What gives God joy? Burdens being lifted. And you know what else gives God joy? His children looking like Him. Even in the passage where Jesus says to love your enemies, He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, He says, You have heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that, this is verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, this is impossible stuff apart from God. But with God, we have been given in the new birth spiritual capacity to follow him. And when we follow him, we look like him. We show the world, we show each other what God is like. When we serve Some of you need to go home today and pray and ask how how you might serve in the local church. And there's a reason I didn't touch on hardly any opportunities to serve because there are so many. The world is full of almost endless opportunities to serve, but there is only one heart by which we can do that to glorify God. And if we have not the heart... Man, thanks for the help, but I want you to evaluate the heart. Some of you need to go, come to the Lord and ask, how can I serve? How can I plug in? Some of you are serving, and you are doing wonderful things, and you are excited to do it. You are remembering that it is for God's joy. You get to enjoy his joy, you get to love your neighbor, you get to make much of Jesus. Some of you are remembering that, and I praise God for you. And there are some of you who have been serving and serving and serving, and you're like the young mother who's like, why do I have to keep doing this? And there's no thanks. There's exactly the opposite. Some of you are tired of serving. So I would ask you to consider these things to re-encourage you and to refocus your perspective on why you serve.
Why do you do it? Why? Do you do it because you have to? This is God's church. You think God is unable to continue his church? Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, thank you. But he wants you to participate with him joyfully because of what he has done for you, how he has served you, how he has given you neighbors to love and care for. Even if they're high maintenance or grumpy. And he's given you the ability to enjoy his joy in doing so. Church, we have been given a heart to serve. And we should praise him just as these people did. Praising God. We've been given a heart to serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who in your nature loves to do good to others, to build up others. You are in your nature a God who is not threatened in your position as God by serving. And Lord, we confess that we often do not carry that heart when we serve. We need your help. Lord, we need to remember that it's not about us, that it's about you. And Lord, we do ask, because there might be some who are, who are afraid of serving because who's going to look after their stuff? Lord, please, please comfort them and let them know that you care for them and that you are your desire for your church is that we would be serving each other in such a way that, as it says in this passage, as any had need, their needs were being met. Lord, we can't do this apart from you. Lord, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters who have served faithfully, who are serving faithfully. Lord, help them to know today how much good you are doing through them and how much you are blessing others. I, just right here, I think of so much blessing. This pulpit that I preach from, it, someone served. The sound that's coming out of this mic, someone served. The tools I use for Bible study, someone served. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who loves to serve. Help us to be more like you, Jesus.
We pray these things in your name. Amen.